This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hi, everyone. I'm Bev Jones, and this is Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. Today, we're chatting with Tally Wenger, who's a highly qualified director of field operations within the Federal Emergency Management Agency. Tally is passionate about FEMA's work and the role it plays in preparing for and responding to disasters like hurricanes, floods, and fires. Tally is also passionate about her side gig. She's the co-owner of Off-Road DC, which operates two independent, community-focused cycling and fitness centers in Washington, D.C. We'll talk about why and how Tally has elected to juggle two rewarding but very different careers. And she'll give us some insights about what it takes to launch a small business in a market where there's a lot of big competition. Tally. We want to focus today on how you became an entrepreneur and on the community focus that seems to be central to your business approach. But before, before we get to that, I, I have to ask you about your day job. How is it that you found your way to the Federal Emergency Management Agency, and what inspired you in the first place? Well, I was a senior in college when September 11th happened, and I think like a lot of people that were at the end of their college degree when that happened, it forced me to think about what I wanted to do. And I I thought I wanted to do politics and campaign finance. And after that, I definitely was inspired to move down to DC and take uh, a career that was more focused on law enforcement. So I received a fellowship called the Presidential Management Fellowship. I stayed at Brown University for my master's degree for a year and then went down to DC. And I um, was hired by the Department of Homeland Security a month after the department stood up. So the department stood up in March, and I was hired in April and went down and started working in Homeland Security. And I stayed for 15 years. So I joined FEMA, which is part of Homeland Security, about four years ago. But um, prior to that, I had been doing uh, work in the secretary's office and up in DHS headquarters. So since September 11th, pretty soon after that, I had come down to D.C. and decided to stay working in in that arena. Well, I know you've had some very challenging assignments at FEMA. You were in Puerto Rico soon after the hurricane, weren't you? I was. I arrived in Puerto Rico five days after the storm, after Hurricane Maria last year. And I stayed down there for eight weeks, uh, living on a ship and uh, doing work mostly around water and a little bit related to schools and getting the schools back up and running in Puerto Rico. What's it like when you arrive after something like that with very little time for planning, right in the middle of such chaos? How do you how do you get started? That was a very challenging disaster, and and I had been deployed before, but nothing like Puerto Rico. And I had spent a fair amount of time in Puerto Rico. My father is from South America, and his partner is from Puerto Rico, so I had had been down there quite a bit. Uh, for fun and visiting, but never, obviously, after a, a, a hurricane like that. Um, it was it was devastating, and it was very hard, I think, for the responders to be down there, and certainly very hard for the people that were living there. Um, no water, no electricity, uh, very difficult to get around, lots of debris blocking the roads. So it was, um, it was certainly a very challenging experience emotionally for everybody involved, and knowing where to start. FEMA 
is full of experts. We've, I'm always impressed by the people that I work with, and, and they know how to handle disasters outside of the continental United States. But for me, it was definitely a difficult and unique experience. It sounds like there's a lot of stress, and I, I know you are a great exerciser. We've talked about how important it is. Is that one of the ways you handle stress? Uh, normally, yes. In Puerto Rico, no. There was no. <laughs> there was no way to. I was because I was on a ship and I was living um, off of a cargo shipping uh, area, a very industrial area of Puerto Rico. I was not able to leave the ship, um, and I was working, you know, fourteen hours a day. But normally, yes, exercise is very important to me, and and meditation is very important to me. And I think not just for weight or the way one looks, but for, I think, the the mental aspect and the stress relief and the ability to sort of sleep well and have time to yourself. I think it's very important. So you sound very passionate about FEMA and the work you do and its importance, but you also sound passionate about fitness and health. Is Is that what led you to think about taking another job on the side? Your side passion became your side job? Or how did that come about? I think they're more related than one would think because I think the common thread is community. And I think with FEMA, one of the wonderful things about that organization is people work there because they absolutely care about others. There's no other reason to go to a place like FEMA than the passion and the desire to to help people at their worst moment. And And I love that about FEMA. But I also think one of the opportunities with fitness, especially in a city like D.C. that is so transient, it is an opportunity to build commi- to build community and to have a, a, a place for yourself other than just your home and your immediate family. So I do actually see a, a common thread between the work at FEMA and the work owning a fitness studio in, in that community-based regard. Well, that's interesting. I, I, I wouldn't have thought that, but as you're talking about it, that theme of community and supporting communities and reaching people that way, that really ties your, your two gigs together. But still, with a really demanding job like FEMA, um, that was quite a big step to, to open your own business. How did you... Um, how did it come about? How did you get the, the courage, the inspiration to make the leap? Uh, massive amounts of hubris. I, I I don't. I think that there's something to be said for living without any fear um, of failure, and maybe it was the way I was raised. I I do not come from an entrepreneurial family at all, but I think there's something to be said for thinking what is the worst thing that could happen, and I think for me that answer was simple. It will fail, and if it fails, it's I've still experienced something new, and I've taught myself how to do quite a few things. Um, you'd be surprised what you can learn on YouTube about how to start a business and how to create a website and how to um, create a business plan. So, I think for me and for my business partner, we were bored, and I think we felt like there had to be more than just a nine to five government job in D.C. that would give us a sense of fulfillment. And so it was a side passion, and it was something that we thought, okay, we could try this and see where it goes. And the worst that happens is we fail. And I think um, for a lot of people, that that fear stops them from doing those things that they're passionate about. So you decided that there was something you really wanted to do. You decided you'd go in together and uh, your 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 partner is Tamar. Yes. That you so you and Tamar had this um, 
great idea, and you decided to take the leap. So from that moment to when you opened your first studio, how long did that take? That was probably at least a year and a half. It, it took a while. It, it, it took a while to develop the business plan. It took even longer to find the location. And, and we had two spaces fall through that we were looking at before we found the space that we are now in for our first location. Our anniversary is actually uh, in two and a half, two weeks, our anniversary for our first location. So we opened in 2012. And it, it probably was about a year and a half before we actually opened the doors. Construction takes longer than one ever expects. Permitting, uh, it, it, it was... It was a while before we were able to open the doors. I've been going to, working with trainers for, oh gosh, decades, more than I want to say. And I, I agree with you that exercise is very important. I can see it in my clients. It's related to productivity, creativity, and so forth and so forth. Absolutely agree. And sometimes I work out with my trainer and I've pushed a boundary or something and I feel some satisfaction but I have never once, I don't think, found it fun. <laughs> but I've, I looked at your websites for your studios, and what really struck me is, first, your, your theme of community. That really leaps out. But also, your classes sound fun. They sound different. They sound energetic. How, can you tell me a, a little bit about how you go about kind of creating that atmosphere, that culture of fun. You know, what goes on in your studios? I think the fun is the most important part. The community and the fun, I think, is what brings people back. You In D.C., there are so many options for fitness, and there are lots of places you can go. And the boutique studios like mine can be slightly more expensive than a big corporate gym or a big box gym. I think what we have to do as small business owners, small fitness communities, is make sure that that fun is there and the creativity is there because folks are paying a lot of money to come to see us and I want it to be the best possible experience for them and fun is a huge part of that. So for me, if I'm teaching a class, I need it to be more than just clock in, clock out, my clients arrive. I want them to know each other's names. I often ask them to introduce each other uh, to one another, to the people sitting next to them. I know all of their names. And then there has to be something more beyond just the class. So we go out to coffee together afterwards. Sometimes I'll go out to, for drinks after class if it's an evening class with my clients. So it's really important that for them, it's an experience. It's not just working out. And it sounds like it's it can be kind of a multimedia experience. Yes. Just from the description, you have video and... We really focus on, for our, our spin classes, so we have three programs, bike, box, and build. So box is our boxing program. Build is like a boot camp style class, and then our bike program uh, is spinning, indoor cycling. And for our indoor cycling program, which is what I teach... We try to use video when possible, visualizations, drone footage, music videos. We use, um, we're a, an embassy is what they call it for Sufferfest, which is an amazing company out of Australia. We're one of, I think, about 10 studios in the United States that's an embassy for Sufferfest, which are all licensed video footage from cycling races. And those classes are very popular at the studio in the winter months when our cyclists are inside training for, for, the, for the spring season. So we try and make it be as visually exciting as possible. It's not just going into a room and, and listening to my voice for an hour. 
We'll be back with Bev after this brief message. The Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University is having an impact today while providing innovative education for tomorrow's leaders. The master's program in public administration and environmental studies leads students to greatness in nonprofit, environmental, public sector, and government settings. Learn to lead at the Voinovich School. We're now accepting applications. Information is available at ohio.edu backslash Voinovich School. So if a person who doesn't exercise a lot and wants to start being healthier and maybe meet some people, maybe they're new to D.C. in a new job, which happens a lot, are they going to be intimidated by a studio that has something called Suffer Fest? I, I would find it a little intimidating. How, how do you bring in somebody new who's not already a cyclist or not already pretty fit? Do you try to introduce those people to oh, a yes. healthy community? That's, that is my ideal candidate. My ideal client is the person that comes in who maybe has never worked out, who's intimidated by going to the big gyms or to the really fancy studios um, that are, are cropping up around D.C. I think that the minute they walk in the door, any feeling of intimidation flies out the window. Uh, our front desk is extremely welcoming. We make sure that they are introduced to other clients. We do things, like I said, with going out to coffee. And so I have quite a few clients who would probably say that the thing they like best is that there is no judgment our coaches are huggers. <laughs> we have a lot of people that uh, hug each client as they come in the door. Um, it's a much more welcoming and happy place um, with no expectation on them that they have to perform a certain way. I mean, I tell every single one of my clients when I start my class, if I tell you to do something and you don't want to do it, don't do it. It This has to be their workout. It is their time. It is for, for some people, myself included, when I was working the hours that I've been working, that's my one hour for myself. So I don't need to be as a client yelled at, and I don't want them to feel like they're being judged or yelled at. It also is part of your culture that you connect with all kinds of nonprofits and charities, and um, you make that part of your profile. It feels like that might be welcoming to people who are looking for community, looking for a place where they can kind of be themselves and not be judged. Is is that a conscious part of, of your business plan, of your culture, of everything you're doing? Oh, yes. And I think Tamar and I, there's a, we're both Jewish, there's a phrase in, in Judaism, tikkun olam, which means to heal the world. And when she and I started, it was very important to us that at least twice a month we donated classes or we offer our space. So we have a, a very discounted price if people want to run a charity class through us. We do that quite a bit. We also uh, donate memberships to different auctions and, and silent auctions and nonprofits that are, are running programs. DC is wonderful if you want to take the opportunity to work with those nonprofit communities. Uh, we work with a lot of other businesses in D.C., especially small, locally-owned, minority-owned, women-owned businesses. Um, we have quite a few in our neighborhoods in Shaw and in Capitol Hill. So to the extent that we can reach out both to other businesses and to nonprofits, we, we seek that out a lot. 
So how do you reach out to another business? I, I love that model. Um, do you introduce yourself? You just make cold calls? How do you, how do you exercise that commitment? Well, in Shaw, it, I live in, in close to the studio. So one of the things that we did when we opened our Shaw location, it's a lot of bars and restaurants. So we got to know some of the bars and restaurants right nearby. We had one bar that has unfortunately since closed, but they had a drink named after the studio. And it really started because um, my business partner, Tamar Berger, and I went over there after a day of working at the studio and after a day of me being at Homeland Security and at FEMA, we would just go there and have drinks and get to know the bartenders and the managers. And and that was sort of how it began. And then they introduced us to other bars and restaurants in the area. Uh, we also have a, a woman who owns a, a clothing store who she actually went to grad school with us at Johns Hopkins. And so we got to know her. And she is like us. She went for a different non-DC career and, and owns this clothing store. And so there are opportunities everywhere. But it is true. Yesterday, for example, a juice bar opened near us and I just went in and I brought some of my clients and I took a picture of us uh, in the juice bar and I sent it to the owner and said, hi, I'm Tali. I own the fitness studio around the corner. I was in your place. It's wonderful. Please let me know if we can get together sometime and talk about our businesses. And I, I've looked her up. She's another woman-owned small business. She lives in DC. So those opportunities I seek out when possible. It sounds like you've reinvented yourself from time to time. I mean, it, you started with a fitness and community focus, but now you're building um, fun and new ways. You're getting to know people. Does this get tiring, or is there always a new idea around the corner? Do you, ha do you find it hard to keep making it fresh, or does it come naturally? I think... It comes naturally. I think my business partner is even better at it than I am. I think she just constantly is coming up with ideas. And she is from an entrepreneurial family. Her brother owns her, his own business. Her father owns his own business. She's just an idea magnet. She just comes up with these things. But I think the the more comfortable we get with the status quo, the more itchy she and I get to try something new. So we opened the one studio few years later, we decided to open the second studio. Now we're thinking in terms of what we want to do next. So I, I think that the minute you get comfortable, it's time to start coming up with something new to do. And so she and I start tonight with a yoga and wine program. Oh, that's an interesting combination. Yes. So she and I are going to be doing free yoga and wine every Sunday for our members. So we have clients that are members of, of our studio. We also have people that drop in, but our members will get free yoga and wine every Sunday. It's a chance for them to meet each other, to spend time with us. A lot of my front desk uh, are already signed up, my front desk staff. So we are taking the opportunity to kind of encourage that community a little bit more. We have friends that own a wine company and one of my staff her family owns a winery in Virginia. So we're going to be having wine from there. And we're going to do some yoga with two yoga studios that we're friends with. So we made friends with other studios in, in the area, obviously. And so we're going to be having some yoga and wine tonight. That sounds so much fun. I really think you've, um, you've hit the fun meter pretty hard. <laughs> and I can see how Although it must be a challenge to have these two different careers, the things you're dealing with at FEMA are so desperately difficult sometimes. And so you have this other passion, and it, they must feed each other. Is that right? 
I think so. I think it's hard to switch gears. So especially if I'm at work all day and as a supervisor, I have, I'm a director of an office at FEMA, I, you're focused a lot on the needs of the people that work for you. I, I think as a good supervisor, you are. And then to switch gears and go from there to one of the studios and to teach and then to be reaching out to clients afterwards or going out to dinner with them, that that is a, a draining experience no matter how extroverted you might be. And so I, I do find that challenging to to figure out a way to balance those two things. And FEMA, especially last year with Hurricanes uh, Harvey, Irma, and Maria, it was a fairly serious place and a fairly intense place. And so it was a little difficult going from a very draining day to having to be on in the studio and to be performing because teaching spin is performance. Uh, and so that can be draining. How do you take care of yourself to, to get your energy back when things get really intense? Because it, it sounds like the things that you this, we talked about is exercise and so forth. Uh, you may be are, uh, over the top on those already. Do you, are you really careful about having some time alone? I try to be. But I, I think meditation helps a lot. And I discovered meditation about two years ago. And for me... If it's 10 minutes a day, it doesn't matter. It changes the way your mind works. I really think you rewire your brain uh, if you if you get used to meditating on a regular basis. And I think that even if it's just 10 minutes to myself, that is necessary uh, to, to work on mindfulness. I also go running without listening to any music or any podcasts. And I think using running as a form of mindfulness and a form of meditation can be very helpful. I, I think that's exactly right. I work with clients, you know, who have pretty intense jobs, and I, I try to introduce to them to maybe one minute mm -hmm. of meditation, just kind of focusing on their breath. And even a tiny little practice like that seems to have some impact. I think that's right. I know someone who she meditates for five minutes in the car, in the parking garage, before she goes into work. And it's a small amount of time, but it, it helps her turn the page and get ready for her day in a way that I don't think she was able to before. And there's a lot of free apps out there that are really helpful uh, to, to teach you how to meditate if, if you're not used to it. Um, and I don't think it's meant to be turn your brain off for 10 minutes. And I think there's a way to treat it as an opportunity to evaluate your emotions and figure out where you are and help you kind of prepare for the day ahead. So in thinking about what lessons there are <laughs> and, and your successes here and, and your very interesting career combination. Um, there are a few things that that really make sense to me. One is if you're um, starting a small business, be very conscious of your community and your potential partners and reach out in every way you can. And um, being connected to other people is a key to small business. I think that's really important. And then take care of yourself, whether it's exercise or meditation, find ways so that you're in shape to deal with the tension and sometimes the fear of, of, of small business. But do you have any other tips or insights for people who might be thinking about their fitness studio or their coffee shop or their sound studio or whatever it is? Uh, what tips do you have? I speak to a lot of people who have dreams of starting a business, but who don't do it. And those people I always like speaking with because I think there's always 
the fear that it won't work out. And chances are with small businesses, they won't. And I think if we let our fear dictate what we do, we get stuck in a rut. And I love FEMA. I love the federal government. I love Department of Homeland Security. But I I think I would have felt really disappointed in myself if I had never tried to do the studio. And who knows, we might close one day, we might sell, but I will never regret having done the last six years, seven years of starting my own business. And so I, I do encourage people, if anyone's listening, to take that chance, do all the research you can do, find communities on Facebook, uh, find other organizations, don't be scared to call somebody. I spoke with a fitness studio owner in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, yesterday, two days ago. And she's has some ideas and things that she's struggling with. And so we talked about that. We're going to start a group uh, to, of studio owners to work together on some ideas. And there's such opportunity to get advice from others that have already been through it. So seek out those opportunities and find um, a way to achieve what it is your dream might be uh, without the fear that it's going to fail. I don't think that I don't think we can ever let that really dictate what we do. And so fear is sometimes just something you notice. Sometimes fear can be a sign that you really hit upon something important. And we can learn after we've decided that the worst isn't all that bad, we can learn, okay, this is just fear. I'm just going to put it aside and uh, see what happens, right? I think that's right. Tala, it's been wonderful talking with you. I, I haven't um, tried your studios yet, but I've got to admit that uh, even though I'm pretty committed to the trainer I work with, I'm really tempted to have some fun Anytime in my workout. Anytime you want to come, we would love it. So thanks so much. Today we've been talking with Tali Wenger, who combines a challenging job at FEMA with co-ownership of two fitness and cycling studios. Today's career tip is that you're never too busy or important to get some exercise. No matter how good you are at your job, a regular exercise program can up your productivity, help manage your stress, and unleash your creativity. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Beverly Jones, author of Think Like an Entrepreneur, Act Like a CEO. If you have comments or suggestions for great guests for our show, we'd love to hear from you. Please email me directly at Beverly E. Jones at me.com. That's B E V E R L Y E J O N E S at M E.com. Mm-hmm.